Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today I want to start a series of messages that I've simply entitled From Distressed to Blessed. From distressed to blessed. And we're going to take as a a text Psalms 84, beginning with the fourth verse, right? And it says, blessed are those who do well in your house, for they will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, now, the baka literally means weeping or tears, right? Now, now, notice it says we're to pass through. God doesn't want you living there. How many of you know that you face some tests and trials, right? But you're not supposed to live in that place, right? You're supposed to pass through the valley of tears, of weeping. And it says they make it a spring. Now, now the main thing we're going to get to in a couple of weeks is how you make it is spring. How do you make that tri- the, the trial, the trouble that you're going through? How do you make it a spring? So often we want God to do it. Right? Oh God, you know, do this. God do that. Right? But the Bible says you make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So starting with the fourth verse. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. The Bible talks in the Psalms about being the planting of the Lord, being planted in the house of God. I think we all realized when COVID-19 hit that a lot of things changed. They changed at your job. They changed where you shop. But I tell you, it was a huge change when it came to church. Because for a while there... All we were doing was watching from home. Well, here's what happened. A lot of people liked it. They said, this is easy. <laughs> I remember, uh, oh, I, maybe it was uh, seven, eight months ago. We were up a little later than normal on, on, on Saturday night. And, and uh, Sunday morning, it's time to get up. And, and, and Jeannie said to me, she said, let's just watch online this morning. <laughs> we, we can stay in bed. You know, it is so easy to, to, to just stay online. But the Bible talks about dwelling in your house. Now, listen, there is an individual anointing. There is a regular anointing that goes out on the word of God. But there is a corporate anointing, right? And that is the anointing that takes place when we're together, right? And when you're watch, just watching at home, there is an anointing, but that a corporate anointing which is a stronger anointing, is not there, right? You've got to get in the house. And then besides that, so often when we think about our Christian life, it's just about us, right? But the Bible talks in Ephesians chapter 4 how with the, and, and 1 Corinthians 12, how the body ministers to itself, right? You see, you, you aren't supposed to just be receiving. You're supposed to be giving, Right? Now, part of that giving is a, is a sacrifice of praise to God, but part of it is ministering to each other. Right? 
Uh, it's really hard to, to uh, be a greeter at home. It, it's really hard to change somebody else's kids' diapers at home. But there is a ministry that we're supposed to be giving to each other. So God says, it's those that dwell in your house. And and I want to, I am so glad for everybody that's online. And there are people you can't get out. But if you can get out, you should make a strong effort to get in the house. Get in that place where that corporate anointing is at. And then it says, they'll still be praising you. They'll still be praising you. Of course, Psalms 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, be thankful to him, bless his name. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that one of the things that Jesus did at his resurrection, all right, is he made you to be a king and a priest to God the Father. Now, one of the priestly duties, right, is to offer sacrifices. Now, of course, you can go in the Old Testament and you look and they're sacrificing a bull or a goat or a ram. But our sacrifices are not animals. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So literally, the, the sacrifice that we're to give in the New Testament is praise to God. It's the fruit of our lips. Now, when I first became a Christian, this was almost was 49 years ago, right? uh, there was a very popular Christian book. And the book was talking about praising God and thanking God. And the book said this. It says, if you get a divorce, thank God for your divorce. If you are diagnosed with cancer, thank God for the cancer. Now, God is not the author of cancer. He's not the author of divorce. See, what the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, in everything give thanks, but not for everything, because everything does not come from God. Right? There is an enemy. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. Right? John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, James chapter 1 says it this way. It says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. But back to John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, we really can call that verse the great divide because it shows us what things come from God, the things we need to embrace, the things that don't come from God, the things we need to resist, right? What comes from God? Every good gift, every perfect gift. James says, God doesn't have bad days. There's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. If it's good, if it's good, it comes from God. But everything that kills, steals, and destroys does not come from God. So we can, we can say, it. in fact, I, I'm going to have everybody just say this. It's very simple. I want you to repeat this a minute. Say, good God, 
bad devil. One more time. Good God, bad devil. Now, if we really grasp that, then you understand more than 90% of theologians. Because you've got to have a PhD to mess this up. It's just that simple. If it's good, it's God, from God. If it's bad, it's not. If it kills, steals, and destroys, those are the things that are not from God. Now, if you think everything's from God, you're going to resist nothing. And there is no passive victory in the Christian life. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony needs to be standing against what the devil brings in confessing what Jesus purchased for us. Right? So there's continually this praise coming out of our mouths. Right? In, in Malachi chapter 13, it says, And then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name. In other words, God's listening to what you say. How many of you knew that that's true? In fact, literally, Hebrews 3, verse 1, says that Jesus is the high priest of your confession. In other words, Jesus is saying what you're saying. How many are saying some good things? You want God the Father to hear? I hope we're not saying things we don't want him to hear. Because Jesus is the high priest of your confession, right? What are you saying, right? So God is listening, and when people are praising God, talking about the goodness of God, it says God has it written down in a book. And then he says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. As the children of Israel come out of Egypt, they come to the edge of the promised land, and they come to a place called Kadesh Barnea. It's found in Numbers 13. Moses sends 12 spies into the land. They pass through the land for 40 days, and they come back, and this is their report. The land is just like God said. It flows with milk and honey. But how many of you know your butt can get you in trouble? <laughs> it's all about where you put your butt. I'm serious. I'm explaining this in a minute. They said, but we saw giants there. There were seven nations there more powerful than us. And there's walled cities. And we cannot go in and take possession. We can't do it. We're not strong enough. They're stronger than we are. And this is what God said. He said, they gave an evil report of the land through which they had passed through. See, God said, I've given it to you. And they said, we can't do it. And God called that an evil report. And when God says you're blessed and you say you're not, that's not a good report. That's an evil report. Right? Now, two of the spies stood up and said, well, yeah, the nations are there, the giants are there, but, but God, but God is on our side. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will give us possession. Let us go up at once and take possession. Now, the interesting thing is, two million people said, we can't go in. This is what God said. As you've spoken in my ear, so I'll do to you. Two said, we can go in. Let us go up and take possession. Those two went in. 
Isn't it interesting? Two million people, everybody got exactly what they said. I really believe God listens to what you say and what I say. It's very important. Now, blessed are those who do well in your house. They'll still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Now, the Bible is progressive revelation. Now, what that means is this, that the farther you get in your Bible, the more truth about every subject is going to be revealed. And when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, it's really the first place where it really explains the, the makeup of a human being. So it says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now, may the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole, everybody say whole. So this is talking about your whole being, your whole spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I, we are a trichotomy. That means you're three parts. First is mentioned spirit. Because that's the real person that you are. You are a spirit being, right? Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, it mentions that God makes his angel spirits. Spirits, angels are also spirits. In John chapter 4, Jesus said God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, All right? So you are in the same class of being that God is. Right? God's a spirit. Angels are spirits. The Bible says you are a spirit. Right? Now, angels don't retire when they're 130,000 years old. Right? They don't get old. You say, why? Because they're a spirit. This is what the Bible says about you. It says the outward man is perishing. Uh, I'm 69. I, I, yeah, I, I've done about 100 triathlons. But you know what? I haven't done one lately. You say, why? I'm just getting old. You know, swimming a mile, it just isn't as, I don't do it as fast as I used to, all right? And, and actually, I've gotten, you know, what some people call furniture disease. What's that? That's where your chest moves down into your drawers, you know? <laughs> some of that stuff is just not the way it used to be. Though the outward man perishes, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Yet the inward man, the spirit, is made new every day. See, your spirit doesn't get old. And here's the truth. My, my body's 69. My spirit's 16. My body wants to s- slow down. My spirit's like, let's go. Right? Young people look at old people think, oh, they're just all old. No, their body's old. But inside, they're not old. All right? They're still 16 on the inside. So your physical body, it's getting old. It's perishing. But the inward man, the spirit, made new every day. So in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about a rich man in Lazarus. It says that Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. So they took his body and they put it in a pulper's tomb. But what happened to Lazarus? The real Lazarus, the spirit that lived on the inside, stepped out of that physical body when it died. James chapter 2, the last verse, says, as the body without the spirit is dead. 
What death is, is when your spirit leaves your body. The real you will step out. All right? And in Lazarus' case, it says angels carried him. Someday, if my body dies and the real me steps out, angels are going to carry me. And if your body dies before Jesus comes back, the real you that lives on the inside is going to step out. And angels are going to carry you to one of two places faster than the speed of light. Right? So the real you is the spirit. Hebrews, Hebrews, excuse me. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 27. Paul said, I, the spirit, discipline my body. I bring it. So your body is not you. Your body is it. That's what Paul called it. He said, I, the real man on the inside, I discipline my body and I bring it, my body, into subjection. At least when I preach to others, I myself could become disqualified. So the spirit is the part of you that becomes new. When you become a Christian, your spirit becomes a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ or in union with Christ, receives Jesus, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Other, one translation says you're a new species of being. I like the translation that says you're a new self. You're a new self. You're a new person. I, rem- I was brought up in church. Uh, I was 20 years old, and I had gone to church all my life, but I was not a Christian. I was living for myself. I was doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. I prayed a prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. I received him as my Lord and my King. Let me tell you what happened. All the things I used to want to do, I didn't want to do. Before I became a Christian, I did not like praise and worship. I did not want to read the Bible. I did not want to go to church. And I did not want to hang around Christians. But one Sunday night, I pray a prayer. And on Monday, I want to read my Bible. I want to sing and I want to praise God. I want to hang around Christians and I want to go to church. And all the stuff I used to want to do, I didn't want to do. And all the stuff I didn't want to do, I wanted to do. How many of you can identify with that? If anyone is in Christ, you are a new self. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Where? In your spirit. Now, you you also have a soul or a mind, and you live inside of a body. But that body is your house that your spirit lives in. In fact, you can only stay on earth as long as you have one. Your body is your earth suit. It dies. You cannot stick around. Right? That means nobody's sticking around to haunt a house. Right? Nobody comes back to pay for their past sins as a cat or a dog. Right? It's appointed for a man, the Bible says, to die once. And after that, the judgment. Now, here's what I'm, I'm, where I'm, I'm trying to get to. Right? You are a hybrid being. Right? With your spirit, you contact the spiritual realm. With your mind, you contact the intellectual realm. And with your body, you contact the spiritual realm. So because you're a hybrid being, you're a spirit, you can contact the spiritual realm. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit in their life. So with your spirit, you contact the spiritual realm. And by the way, people that are not Christians, they have a spirit. 
They are a spirit. And they can contact the spiritual realm, but they don't contact God's spiritual realm. They contact the demonic spiritual realm. Right? So because you have a physical body, you can contact the physical realm. But because you're a spirit, you can contact the spiritual realm. That's why I say you're a hybrid being. Now, the problem is that most Christians are not dominated by their spirit. They're dominated by their body or by their flesh. So the, the, the key two verses in the entire Bible on victorious Christian living are in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, I've got verse 1 written down here out of the Amplified Classic because it's the the, the clearest. It says, in view of all the mercies of God, you need to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Now, notice it says you need to dedicate your bodies, presenting all your members to God. How many of you know your body did not get saved? Four people. (laughs) The rest of you, let me just tell you, your body is not saved and your body is crazy. Your spirit's a Christian. But your body is a heathen. So the Bible says what you need to do is you need to dedicate your body to God. You make a a decisive dedication. You say, God, I give you my hands. I give you my feet. I give you my tongue. I, I give you my sexual organs. I dedicate my body to you. Now, notice it says here, a decisive dedication. You do do this on purpose. You say, how often do I need to do it? As often as your body gets riled up. This isn't just a one-time thing. Your body gets riled back up. You need to dedicate your body to God. Then the next verse tells us not to be conformed to this world. And it's literally talking about the culture that we're in. And how many realize our culture is just going crazy? It says, don't be conformed to this world or the culture, right? Uh, it, it literally, it could say like this, don't be a, 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 a cookie cutter stamp of your culture, right? If the church is a reflection of culture, right, the church is irrelevant. See, the church should be a reflection of the kingdom of God culture, which is very different. Jesus taught us to pray your kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a picture of the kingdom of God. When God will is done in your house, at your job, in your school, when God's will is done where you are, that's the kingdom of God right there. Right? And Jesus said, pray your kingdom come on earth. Again, so often we think, well, I got saved so that I could go to heaven. Well, you die, you're a Christian, you're going, right? But that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came so the kingdom would come in you now. Jesus' message was this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Literally, the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's available. Jesus was saying the kingdom is now. Now, of course, the interesting thing is the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is also coming. The kingdom is now, but the kingdom is also, it's coming. So right now, it's down on the inside of you and of me. But Jesus is going to come back. How many know Jesus is coming back? All right. So, so this morning, it's about 7.30, and, and I'm walking Jeannie over to the, the prayer meeting. And we, we walk back the, past the resource, resource center, and there's this shirt hanging up there. It says, BRB, Jesus. BRB. And, she, and I said, what's that? What's BRB? Barbecue G. Oh, my, my. I mean, what is it? What is BRB Jesus? And, and Jeannie said, like, uh, boy, righteous, something. We were trying to fit BRB. Somebody finally, finally, Bernie showed up. And it's, it's be right back. Be right back. How many of you know he's coming again? Every single New Testament author tells us he's coming again. Now, when he comes again, right, he's coming to rule and to reign. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Jude, he's coming to execute judgment on the ungodly. Psalms 110. Listen to this. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He'll fill the place with dead bodies. He will execute the heads of many countries. I just want to say something. I would not want to be a politician making stupid laws. Because when the king comes back, he's going to enforce the kingdom. It says he's going to execute the heads of many countries. And he will fill the place with dead bodies. The good news is today the kingdom of God is here and anybody can join. We can join the kingdom by receiving the king and giving him our heart and our life. But the day will come when the kingdom will be enforced. So blessed is the man whose strength is in you. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I've just got a couple minutes. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. Some translations say all you can imagine. How many of you got a pretty good imagination? He can do more than you could ask or think or imagine. Now, look, the rest of the verse, most of us never mention, but this is very important. It says, according to the power that's at work in us. Right? Now, it's his power, but where is his power? It's at work in us. Right? So what we typically do is we say, God, the devil's after me. Get him. Right? But what Jesus is saying, hey, I gave you the authority. When Jesus arose from the dead, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you, therefore. Right? So where is the power? It's in you. Now, it's not your power. It's his power. But it's in you. Now, uh, we we get here on Sunday morning at 630, and and some of the staff's already here, working in here, getting things ready. But when we walk in here, this place is pitch black. So we don't get on the phone and call Consumers Power and go, please send some power. 
It's dark in here. We want to have service, and we need the lights turned on, and we need power. Now, we don't call them. You know what we do? We go over to the switch, and we hit the switch. You know what? They're already sending the power, but we have got to hit the switch, right? The same thing is true spiritually. The power is already at work in you. And by the way, Ephesians 1 says it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that's at work in you. But we have to turn the switch on, right? Now, again, it's not your power. Like the electric company, it's not my power, it's their power, but I have to turn the switch on, right? I can take a light bulb and put it in my mouth for six weeks and it won't go on, right? Because it's not my power, it's the electric company's power, but I have to hit the switch, right? The same thing is true spiritually. We're so often wanting God to do something when he says, I've given you authority, I've given you the power, and you need to use the authority and the power that I've given to you. Ephesians 3.10. Now, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church. Now, the church is not this building. You and I are the church. So God wants to demonstrate his wisdom by the church, by you, to principalities and powers. That's Satan and demons. In other words, God wants you and me to use the power that's at work in us to demonstrate the defeat that Jesus has already completed at the cross. And you say, well, why doesn't God just do it? Because he gave the authority to you and to me. He's given the power to you and to me. Um, about 20 years ago now, it might even be a little bit longer, but uh, Jeannie and I had a mentor, Lester Summerall, who pastored a church down in South Bend, Indiana. We would go down quite regularly, and he was here several times. Uh, he had traveled the world for years and years. In fact, had said he lived in just over 100 countries of the world. But he told us this story when he went to Java, which is an island in the Pacific. He said they went into a little bit more of a remote um, mountain region. And when they got to this village, it was already Christianized. Everybody in the village was already a Christian. And they're like, well, tell us the story. What happened here? So the pastor of the church said, well, he says, here's my mentor. She's this Dutch missionary lady. Well, this was her story. She said, I came as a young woman, and I came to preach the gospel. In fact, she said, I came and I was preaching. Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, and Jesus is coming again. Now, how many know that's a good gospel? Jesus saved, Jesus healed, Jesus delivered, Jesus is coming again. Well, she had gotten a, a, a little hut that she had rented in the village, and she was going around sharing Jesus saves. Jesus heals, Jesus delivers. And she's been there for a while when she gets a knock on the door. And as she answers the door to her little hut, there's a, there's a small man there, and he says, you must leave. And, and, and she says, well, what do you mean I must leave? 
She says, uh, he said, this village is not big enough for both of us. He said, I am the witch doctor and I heal in this village and I take care of demons in this village. He said, and there's not room enough for both of us. And she said, well, I'm just here to preach Jesus. You you receive Jesus and you get saved and Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, and Jesus is going to come again. And he says, you have to leave. And she said, well, I'm not leaving. And he said, well, then we have to have a contest. And she said, fine. He closed the door and left. She didn't really think anything more about it until almost two weeks had passed. Another knock on her door. As she answers the door this time, it's several of the leaders of the village. And they just simply say, come with us. And they take her to the center of the village. And they have built a really crude platform. And they escort her up on the platform. And there is the witch doctor on the platform. And she's like, well, what's going on? And they said, this is the contest to see who has the most power. Well, the witch doctor said to her, do you want to do something? And and she said, well, what do I do? She said, well, you do something. She later said, that was like my first mistake. He laid down on the platform. She said, and in just about two minutes, it looked like his body had become as solid as a board and it started to levitate up in the air. And she's like, Lord Jesus, help me. I I come to preach and now there's witch doctors floating in the air. I mean, what do I do? You know? And she's like, Lord, help, help. Lord, get him down, get him down, get him down. And she hears this like, inner voice saying, you get him down. And she's like, no, you get him down. And it says like, get him down. And she's like, no, you get him down. And finally she says, okay, what do I do? And the voice said, just put your foot on him. So she just goes over and just goes, woo, puts him right down. And she said like, the contest was on. She said, inner voice just kind of said to her, tell it to come out. So she just looked down and she says, come out in Jesus' name. She'd never talked to a demon before in her life. And that demon came out. And that witch doctor sat up and he blinked around. He looked around and he said, what are we doing here? And she says, well, I'm telling these people about Jesus, that he came and he paid for sin. And he arose from the dead and he's victor of death and over hell. And he wants to save you. And he said, well, I want to be saved. She prays with him right there. He gets saved on the platform. And then she said to him, she said, you need the Holy Spirit. And he said to her, he said, do you have the Holy Spirit? She said, yes, I do. She said, well, I want what you have. She prays for him. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit and starts talking in tongues on the platform, laying down yet. Now, Lester Summerfield shows up about 10 years later. The witch doctor is the pastor of the church. And the whole village is saved. Now, I tell you that story to tell you this. When the power of the devil meets the power of God, there's never a contest. God's power, it wins every single time. And it is the power that is at work in you and work in you. You See, there, there is really a demonic power. Some people think everything, if it's supernatural, it's good. It's not. When Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh, God had told Moses, throw down your rod. He throws it down. 
and it becomes a snake. Pharaoh calls his magicians. The New Testament tells us about them. Their names are Jannies and Jambres. And the Bible says they withstood Moses. Right? Well, what happens, they throw their, 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 their uh, rods down, and then Moses' rod eats their rods. And then Moses puts his hand down and picks it back up, and it becomes the rod of God. By the way, that is a picture of Jesus eating your sin and my sin. All right? And then God reaches down, picks him up, raises him from the dead, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. That's a picture of redemption. But it says, just like Janes and Janes withstood Moses, it's going to be the exact same way today. When the devil tries to confront the power and the anointing of God, all right, he always comes up short every single time. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or think, according to the power, his power that's at work in you. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? A few weeks ago, I was contemplating into service here at Resurrection Life Church. One of the things that so stood out to me is that there is no other religion or no other faith that has a savior. In every religion, people save themselves. In in Buddhism, you come back and you you have your karma and they think you're gonna come back as a cat or a dog or some animal and you're gonna pay for your previous sins. But the Bible says it's appointed for a man to die once, you're not coming back. And after that, the judgment, right? In, in, in uh, Krishna, you, you, you take a, a vow of poverty and you shave your head and you wear a certain type of robe. Every different religion has different things that you do. But what you do is you save yourself. But Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. He said, all of the good things that I could do or you could do could not save us. We need a savior. We need someone to pay for our sin and then take our hand and put our hand in God's hand. And that's what Jesus came to do. There's no other way to be right with God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. So Romans 10, verse 13 says this. It says, whosoever, that's you, that's me. You're online, that's just you. We'll call on the name of the Lord. Now we're gonna call on the name, we're gonna pray and call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise, we'll be saved. If you will pray this from your heart, when we say amen, you're gonna be right with God. So I'm gonna ask everybody, if you can, please bow your heads. And I want you to pray this out loud. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I believe his blood paid for my sins. He died in my place. And I believe that he arose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart 
and I give him all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King, as my Lord, and I'm going to live for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that my past is gone, that I am now a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.